We're turning this evening to 2 Corinthians and to chapter 5. And my text for this evening can be found at the end of the chapter. Verse 21. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, For he that is the Father hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that thy word brings us to the very person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do not desire to see another today but our blessed Saviour and Redeemer. We do not want to hear the amusing anecdotes of a man. We do not want our ears tickled. But Lord, it is our desire like those Greeks of old when they came to the disciples and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. We pray tonight that our eyes would be fixed firmly upon the blessed Son of God That the King of glory would come into our very minds tonight through the preaching of the word. That our hearts would be captivated by Christ and by nothing else. So much of this world wants our heart. But Lord, we pray tonight. May our hearts be consecrated to thee and to thee alone. We thank thee that thy word has power. We're told it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that the word will come with power to us tonight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, the world is broadly aware of who Jesus Christ is. I stop in the street. If I see somebody handing out leaflets or magazines, it drives my wife crazy. She has a list of things to do in the city and I stop to talk to the Jehovah's Witness or the Muslims. But I'm always interested in hearing what they have to say. I'm not interested in the person of Muhammad. I'm not interested in the Watchtower magazine. My question to them is always about the person of Jesus Christ. Who is he? And even the Muslims, you might be surprised to hear, largely believe the same things as we believe about Christ. The Muslim is not ignorant about Christ. They know who he is. They're able to tell you facts about his life. They're able to tell you about the cross, about his death, about his resurrection. People in the world today of varying religions and even the atheists know who Jesus Christ is and they can tell you simple facts about him. If you ask them, about the cross oh you'll get that simplified answer Jesus died and rose again and that is true of course it's true we believe it but it's a very sanitized answer it's very clinical and it's void of any intellectual thought it's void of any emotional understanding of what exactly happened on that cross oh the Muslim 
The Jehovah's Witness, the atheist, it can roll off their tongue, but it's never penetrated the deep thoughts of their heart. But how true that is for many who sit in Christian churches as well. Brought up in the Sabbath school, brought up in the Bible class, sit week by week under gospel preaching and they can tell you as much about Jesus as the Bible reveals. But it's all in their head. It's never reached their heart. Well, dear friends, there have been some terrible atrocities in the world. We can think of Hitler with the Jews. We can think of Stalin with the Kulaks in Russia. We can think of the Turks with the Armenians. We can think of the millions of babies that are slaughtered each year throughout the world in their mother's womb. And how sad it is to see that the Republic of Ireland have joined that crazy bunch of murderers this weekend. But I tell you that the events of the Passover week some 2,000 years ago was the greatest atrocity in the history of the world. The greatest atrocity that men and women know in their head but never penetrates their heart was the atrocity of Calvary. Men and women say Jesus died and rose again as if it's just a matter of fact thing without thinking of the significance and the deepness of this event. And whenever I say Calvary was the greatest atrocity that ever happened, I'm not speaking about the atrocity of a mistrial. I'm not speaking about the fact that our Saviour was arrested in the secret place of darkness, nor that Barabbas was set free, nor that a governor was swayed by a bloodthirsty mob, not that Jesus was betrayed by a friend, and not the fact that an innocent and righteous man was put to death. There's one single factor that made Calvary the greatest atrocity in the history of humanity. And I put before you tonight, it is found, the answer as to why it's the greatest atrocity is found in the words before us tonight. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Now maybe you're asking tonight, why do you call Calvary an atrocity? Why are you saying it's an atrocity? It was a good thing for us. And yes it was a good thing for us. Because without Calvary there is no hope or no redemption for you and for me. So for us it wasn't an atrocity. We needed it. But I call Calvary an atrocity. Because at that place we see the innocent, sinless, perfect Son of God. The Holy God of Heaven taken and barbarically nailed to a tree. More than this. We see the innocent Lamb of God taking upon himself the sins of the sinner. And having taken their sins, he then suffers the wrath of God for their sin. The sinner deserves to be in that tree. The sinner deserves to be facing the wrath of God for their sin. But Christ did not deserve this. He didn't deserve to die. And I say it's an atrocity. Because God had to resort to this. In order to save you and me. Christ didn't deserve it. We deserved it. But because of the sinfulness of our heart. Because of the depravity of our life. Because of our wicked rebellion against God. He had to send his son. 
There was none other way for you and I to be saved but by sending his son to bear our sin upon that tree. That's why I say it's an atrocity. Sadly, the world has lost the true meaning of the heart or of the cross. Christ didn't go to the cross to show us how much God loves us. Certainly we see the love of God in the cross. But the love of God demonstrated is a byproduct of his actions. It's not the true meaning. If Christ went to the cross just to show us that he loved us. And he never dealt with our problem of sin dear friend. There would be no hope for you and me. Christ went to the cross to be made sin for us. And those in the world today who are preaching a gospel only of love. And void of this truth dear friend it's another gospel. There's many pulpits today and they're preaching that God loves you and that's true. That Jesus loves you and yes that's true. But the whole purpose of the cross dear friend was the problem of our sin to be dealt with. Christ went to the cross to be made sin for us. So who is responsible for this atrocity of Calvary? Oh we can try and blame the scribes and the Pharisees. We can accuse Pilate. We can blame all the Jews. But ultimately God is behind this. Look at verse 21. For he the father hath made him the son. To be sin for us. In eternity. The eternal trinity. Planned the cross. They permitted the cross. Christ performed. This is the very heart of the gospel. And without a deep appreciation of this solemn truth, dear friend, there's no salvation. The thing that hinders us from God, the thing that keeps us back from God is our sin. And if our sin is not dealt with, if our sin is not forgiven, dear friend, we have nothing, nothing at all. And there's many, much preaching today, certainly about Christ. And certainly they'll mention the cross. But they'll never mention sin. Because man doesn't want that three letter word going in his ears. He doesn't want to have to think about his sin. Because if he has to think about his sin, then he'll have to do something about it. I remember being at a funeral recently. A godly man passed away. He used to come to our church whenever his wife wasn't feeling too well he would sneak to our church but he passed away a godly man and I went to the funeral it was held in a Pentecostal church and yes the minister spoke up and he spoke of the love of Jesus he spoke that people needed Jesus that's right but never once did he mention sin as being the reason we need Jesus Christ as our saviour Never once did he mention that we would have to repent of our sin. Never once did he mention that our sin was the reason for the cross. It's great providing the solution to man's problem. But you need to show them what their problem is. And our problem is the problem of sin. I want to speak upon the subject tonight of Christ made sin for us 
three simple points I want to leave with you here tonight. First of all, let us note the decree of the Father. Verse 21. He hath made him, the Father hath made him to be sin for us. Why did the Father make the Son sin for us? Well, first of all, the holiness of God demands justice. You see, many Christians today, they focus only upon the love of God at the expense of God's holiness and God's justice. But dear friends, let us be clear about the very person of God. Our God is a holy God. Our God cannot tolerate sin. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden. They committed one crime. They ate of the fruit of the tree that God told them not to. That was their sin. That was their crime. One, what we might say, minor transgression. But it wasn't minor in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, it was rebellion. The holiness of God, dear friends, is a very serious thing. And because God is holy, he cannot ignore your sin. He cannot pass it by. What you might say is a little white lie. God calls a tragedy. And God calls an abomination. What you might say is one lustful look in the direction of another person. God calls as serious as adultery. You and I don't understand God's perfect holiness. Because you and I are totally depraved. We know nothing of pure holiness. The Lord Jesus Christ as he walked on earth. Was nothing but pure holiness. And what did sinful man do with him? They rejected the Holy Saviour. They rejected the spotless Lamb of God. They made these false accusations against him. They were determined to put him to death. Because man is darkness in the depths of his soul. Because God is holy, sin must be dealt with. If you and I are ever to be redeemed, If you and I are ever to be forgiven, dear friend, the problem of our sin must be dealt with. We've sinned against God, we've broken his law, and God cannot ignore it. He cannot push it under the carpet. It must be dealt with. Otherwise God would cease to be just, and he would cease to be holy. In Isaiah 5 verse 16, we read, The Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. And God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Never do we read in the Old Testament or the New that God turns a blind eye to sin. No, it says that God will be exalted in his judgment of the world. So dear friends, let us not be so foolish and sit here tonight and say, well, God will just ignore my sin. I've been good. I've come out to church my whole life. That won't matter with God. It's your sin. Your sin. That is your problem. But notice in the decree of the Father. Both Father and Son agree to Christ being made sin. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says of Christ. Hath given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God. Now the trinity of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Have one nature. 
one mind. And the father didn't send the son against his will. And the son didn't go against the wishes of the father. No, they were agreed in this here. We call it in the covenant of redemption where father and son bind themselves in this union that the son would be the saviour of his people. So both parties were agreeable to this. And just pause to think about this. The father and son agree together that the eternal son, the holy son, would go into the world and die for the people who did not want him and die for the people who would not love him and die for the people who would take him and nail him to the cross and leave him to suffer in agony and pain. Can we get our heads around that? That the father and son would come up with such a plan full of grace. But in order for this to work, Christ must keep the law perfectly. It's no good if Christ comes into the world and Christ commits sin. He can't be an offering for sin. He can't be spotless. He can't be pure. He can't take our sin upon himself. No, he must keep the law perfectly. And let me tell you, dear friend, despite what the blasphemers of this world say, I tell you tonight, Christ kept that law perfectly. He was without spot or stain. In verse 21 it says, He knew no sin, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And I don't care what the blasphemer, what the heathen and ungodly wretches of this world say, my Savior had no sin, not one spot or stain. In the Old Testament we read that the lamb that was to be sacrificed was to be without spot or blemish. And the lamb of God, the lamb that God provided, had no spot or stain. Not one lustful look, not one little lie, not one disobedient action to his mother. Christ was perfect. He kept the law perfectly. And having kept the law perfectly, he became chargeable for our sin. This was the decree of the Father. There's a debt that has to be paid. There's sin that must be punished. If God is to be just, this sin must be dealt with. And Christ became chargeable for it. That means he took our punishment. He paid our debt. Romans 4.25 says that Christ was delivered for our offences. He wasn't delivered for his offences. He was delivered for ours. Isaiah 53 in the verse 6 we read earlier says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So dear friend, on that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the debt of sin. He became chargeable for it in the eyes of the Father. The father was pleased to punish his son in the sinner's place. Isaiah 53 in the verse 10, it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Can we comprehend that it pleased the father to bruise the son? I have a son, I have a daughter, and I'll chastise them for their sins. 
But I couldn't imagine chastising them for the sins of the wicked and ungodly. Why would I do that? Punish them when somebody else has committed the crime. And I certainly, it certainly wouldn't please me to do such an action. But here we're told it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Why did it please the Father to do this? Because his Son was paying the ransom for his people. So that Christ could redeem his bride and his church. So that you and I could be saved. And brought back into fellowship with God. That is why it pleased the Father. Because his holiness would demand that justice. Zechariah 13 verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. And against the man that is my fellow. Saith the Lord of hosts. This was the decree of the Father. He hath made him, his son, to be sin for us. But notice secondly here tonight, the experience of the son. He was made sin for us. First thing we can say that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced is he was forsaken by the Father. And he had to be. In Isaiah 53 in the verse 10 it says he hath put him to grief. The father has put the son to grief. In Psalm 22 it's a prophetic psalm. We have the words that the Savior would cry out on the cross. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And the words of my roaring. I cry. Thou hearest not. And I am not silent. And dear friends, you know that as the Savior was on the cross, he had seven sayings. He forgave the dying thief. He told John to look after his mother. He said he thirsted. But the greatest cry of the cross was this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Lord Jesus Christ could bear when his disciples fled in the garden. He could endure it whenever he was condemned by Pilate and the bloodthirsty mob cried out, crucify him. He didn't cry out whenever they drove the nails through his hands against the Father, no. But whenever darkness descended upon the earth in the middle of the day, the Father, for the first time and only time in history, withdrew himself from his son because as the, the father had to withdraw himself from the son because he was making his son to be sin for us and the Lord could endure everybody else forsaking him Judas betraying him but whenever the father withdrew his presence from the son the son cried out why hast thou forsaken me but the father had to do that so the son could endure the agonies and the judgment and punishment for sin. But notice. He was made more than a sin offering. It says that he was made sin. He was made sin. He was not made a sinner. He was treated by the father's justice. To not only be like a sinner. But he was treated 
to be in the eyes of the Father a mass of sin. During those three hours whenever the Father withdrew himself from the Son and darkness was upon the earth, God looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ and he looked upon him as that mass of sin. He looked upon him because he received all of our sin and he punished his son in our place. He punished his son for all the sins of his people. Not one of them was left out. Not one of them was ignored. During those three hours, The father looked upon his son as sin and he punished him as sin. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says he was smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 6 says the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10 says thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ was made a curse for us. So dear friend let us never think of the cross flippantly. Let us ever remember that on that cross. The Lord Jesus Christ did not just die in our place. He was made sin for us. He was there. As our substitute. Peter says. First Peter two twenty four, who his own self bore our sins and his own body in the tree. This is personal, dear friend. Peter is writing to believers, and he's reminding them of the importance of the cross, that Christ bore our sins upon his body. Dear friend, all those times you've taken the name of the Lord between your teeth as a blasphemy. Christ took that sin upon himself. Each time you've had an idol in your life. That you've put before God. Christ took that idol. Upon the cross. Isaiah 53 says. In the verse 3. That he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And there's nothing in this world more miserable than sin. There's nothing that will leave you more unhappy. Nothing that will leave you more sad. Nothing that will leave you more depressed than living in sin. It's a sorrowful thing. It's a miserable thing. And the Lord Jesus Christ has taken that misery of sin. And he's died for it on the cross. But it's personal dear friend. Isaiah 53 in the verse 4 says he was wounded. For our transgressions. He was bruised. For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. Was upon him. Dear friend. This is how serious it is. And this is how serious sin is. And this is why we shouldn't trifle with sin. Why we should flee from sin. Because our sin made him go to the cross. Our sin made him. Become sin. And our sin caused the father. To have to bruise him. In our place. The experience of the son. Was like no other experience in history. Many people have died in this world. Many of them. Their deaths are recorded as folklore. But there's never been a death like this. And there never will be again. 
Because the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was the death of all deaths. By his death, you and I have life. By his death, you and I have peace with the Father. The experience of the Son was life-giving. Let me come thirdly and finally this evening to the purpose of the cross. And verse 21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and he satisfied divine justice. I remember a holy God demanded that sin be atoned for. A holy God demanded that justice be paid. And it was paid. How do we know? Because the last cry of Christ on the cross was this one word. Finished. Father, I have finished the work that you sent me here to do. Father, I have made an end of sin. You have laid on me all the sins of my people. I have taken the punishment for all of those sins. And my work is finished. How do we know this was accepted by the Father? Well, the resurrection is the evidence that the sacrifice was accepted. If the Son was not raised from the dead, his work was not accepted. The cross uh, uh, was in vain. If the resurrection never happened. The purpose of the cross. To satisfy divine justice. The purpose of the cross. To atone for sin. John 1.29 As the Lord Jesus Christ commenced his ministry. John the Baptist summed up his ministry. Behold the Lamb of God. Which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to be a peacekeeper between men. He didn't come to show people how to live good lives. Although that was certainly an aspect that we're blessed by. The Lord Jesus Christ came as John the Baptist prophesied to take away the sin of the world. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. He made atonement for sin. It is his blood that was shed that made atonement for the soul. And it's his blood, dear friend, that cleanses away my sin and can cleanse away your sin this evening. We're told that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. If Christ didn't die and his blood was not shed and accepted by the Father, dear friend, you and I are in for a miserable eternity. Christ came. He atoned for sin. And he secured a perfect righteousness for his people. That's what Paul says here. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Daniel prophesied this. Daniel 9.24 said that Christ would bring in everlasting righteousness. My dear friend. We have no righteousness of our own. In order to stand before God, we need a perfect righteousness. We cannot obtain it by ourselves. No amount of good works or religion will ever attain it. But Christ is giving it to us. Now marvel at this, dear friends. Christ did not come and secure an everlasting righteousness for the devil or for the angels. He didn't do it for the animals. 
He did it for us. He did it for us. For his own beloved, chosen, unredeemed people. He gives us his righteousness. He came to bring salvation to us. To reconcile us to God. To redeem us from the curse of the law. And to pardon all our transgressions. Dear friend, can I ask in closing tonight. Christ, we are told, was made sin for us. To bring salvation to my heart and to yours. Can I ask tonight, have you received that wonderful salvation? I'm not asking tonight, do you know about all the history of Calvary? I'm not asking tonight, do you understand the message? I'm asking tonight, have you received Christ as your Savior? Are you able to say that I know that on that cross, my Savior was made sin for me? That all my sins and all my corruption was laid upon him. And I know that tonight by his stripes I am healed. For the work of Christ to be effectual for you dear friend. You must come to him. You must come. The Lord Jesus Christ commenced his ministry. And it said that he preached. Repent and believe. And that's the essence of the gospel tonight, dear friend. Repent of your sin and believe that Christ was made sin for you. And you shall be saved. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee tonight for the blessed Savior of sinners. We thank thee for the one who knew no sin but was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Lord, we pray Deliver us from being those who believe in a shallow, superficial gospel. But let us ever see that on that cross, the Savior dealt with our greatest problem, the problem of our sin. Let us ever remember that it was our sin who put him there. And let us have a hatred for sin, even as thou hate sin. And Lord, should there be a heart tonight that is a stranger to divine grace, we pray for the awakening power of the Spirit. Lord, as the word has gone out, we pray for the effectual call of the Spirit upon precious souls. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.